certainly an honor to be here tonight, and uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to preach the Word of God. I'm going to go before the, our Father, and Father, Lord, I come before you. I just thank you for the tremendous privilege of teaching your Word, Father, Lord. Pray that you'd help me to speak clear, clearly, Father, Lord, and to speak slow enough so that others can understand what I say, Father. I pray, Father, Lord, your Word would go forth and it would be applied to people's hearts. In Christ's name to be magnified. Amen. God is love. I think there are very few verses in the Bible that would provoke less controversy in more settings than that. Only the most militant of atheists are unwilling to hear about a God of love. Liberal theologians, I mean real liberals, those that would deny the divinity of Christ, that would deny everything that is true about God, even they would talk about a God of love. New evangelicals would talk about a God of love. Even the Zuccotti Park complainers sometimes talk about a God of love. Jesus talked about a God of love. If we talk about the God, little g, little o, little d, of love, the list would get even longer, and it would become even more prevalent and even more acceptable to talk about. The politicians of our land have much to say about love and compassion and change. Musicians have written songs that all that you need is love. I believe the Beatles wrote a song with exactly that title. And if you read it, you will get dizzy because they use the word so many times in the song. Jesus said that to love God with all your heart, your soul, and mind was the greatest of all commandments, and the second was to love your neighbor. All of those that I've mentioned, and a lot of others besides, agree on our need for love. If they just stuck to using that word, it would seem as if they had much agreement. But yet, when you begin to ask them what they mean by that, and when you begin to look at the actions that they believe that the word would imply, you begin to realize that they are not on the same page at all. And what we need to know tonight, what you need to know tonight, what I need to remember tonight is what God has to say. Because what I think about the subject isn't going to help you, isn't going to help me, isn't going to help anyone. But what God has to say on the subject will help everyone to be what God intended you to be. If God created you, if God created, if God is love, then what His definition of love is, and what He says it ought to look like in your life, is the definition that we ought to go by. If you want to know what a word means, you should really go to the person who coined it. You should go back to the person who first used it. You should go back to the person who first did it. That's why my dad likes the Oxford English Dictionary so much, because it goes back to the first time the word was used. That's why he likes working definitions, because he goes back to what it means in real life. Well, when we're going to talk about love, obviously, God came before anyone else. The Bible says that He loved us, we love Him because He first loved us. That He gave Himself for us while we were still enemies of Him and of His Son. And so He is the one 
who used the, he is the one who first did the action. He is the one who is loved. He has the right to define it. And he has not left us in the dark on the subject. The word of God is not silent on this word. The word of God is not with, is not, does not leave us without guidance as to what we ought to mean when we say we love God. When we say we love each other. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Everyone knows that. Almost everyone would say, you know, God loved the world. And so everyone who would profess any form of Christianity, you know, God loved the world and God gave his son. But God commands us to love him. What does that mean? We can't, we don't have a son. You know, God doesn't need us to go and sacrifice our children. We can't do what God did. What does God expect from us? We are commanded over and over and over and over again to love God. That that is the first commandment. That that is the greatest commandment. To love God. And the second commandment is like unto it. To love our neighbors. How are we to do that? Because many Christians, it's not just those in the world that would write a rock and roll song. It's not just those that would totally disregard the words of scripture and forming a pseudo-Christian theology that seemed to be confused as to what this would mean. There's disagreement that the disagreement that is present in the world seems to bleed over into the church. Because I think everyone here tonight would profess to love God. Except for a tiny minority or a small portion of professing Christians that would say, you know, I'm angry with God right now. Almost everyone would claim to love God. They say, I'm a Christian. I love God. I mean, everyone here tonight would make a claim to love God, would you not? I mean, would you raise your hand? If you love God, raise your hand. If you profess to love God. You see, almost I didn't have time to count every person, but it looked like every hand was going up. We would all say that we love God. And we could make our sample much broader. And yet, we, I would still get the same raise of hands. Yet, when you get to the point at which it really becomes a working definition, there's a lot of disagreement. People would say, you know, I love God because when I, when I think about Him, I have these good thoughts. And I, I'm really cool with the concept of God. And that is the way that I love God. And they would even profess to be a Christian. Or, you know, I love God because I, I help other people and I, I do this and I do that. Or, you know, I, I love God because, hey, I give to the offering play. I love God. I give my money to the church. I read the Bible. I love God. And these, the list could go on and on. And it, it just seems as if there's so many, with every person has their own take on what it means for them to love God. But there's no need for such confusion. God is not the author of confusion. And he certainly is not the author of confusion on such an important subject. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John and chapter 5. 1 John and chapter 5. He's not left us in the dark over what he means when he tells us to love him. He's not left us in the dark on a subject that is of such importance. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. And especially tonight I'm focusing on verse 3. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments and his 
commandments are not grievous. Let me read that one more time. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. There's nothing ambiguous about, this ver- about these three verses. There's nothing confusing about them. There's not multiple levels of meaning that we need to use strange frameworks to understand. It says, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are making a claim to be a part of his family. If you're a part of his family, you're going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It says, he that loveth, if, if you love him that begat, that begat his children, all of both Jesus and all of the, um, you know, all of each, all of the believers in Christ, you're going to love him also. That is begotten of him. You're going to love God's other children. And in verse two, it says, by this, we know that we love the children of God. So I've heard so many people tell me, you know, I love other believers. I love Christians. I love my fellow man. And God said, okay. You love your fellow man. You love your fellow believers. You profess that. Here's how you know that you truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You love your brothers and sisters in Christ when you love God and you keep His commandments. But the passage makes, the the third verse makes a further point. And that's the point I would like to draw your attention to this evening in just a little bit. Because the reality of your love to God can only be demonstrated by your obedience to His commandments. I don't want to even think of how many times people that I've met, even professing Christians, even members of a good Baptist church, have justified their disobedience to a commandment of God by alleging a deep love for God. Don't worry about me. I may be living in sin, but man, I love God. I never show up at church, but I love God. Even people that are doing all kinds of hateful and wicked things will look at you and say, I love God. Everything's okay. God is cool with me. You've met people like that. Everyone has met people like that. But even less do I want to think of how many times disobedience to God has been justified by an alleged love for some other believer. How many Christian young people have ruined their relationship, their testimony, and their lives all in the name of love for each other by disobeying the commandments of God? How many Christians have covered up the sin that has robbed their church of the blessing of God because they say they love the person that did it and they love them too much to obey the commandments of God and how to deal with sin in the body of Christ? They say they love that person, so they cover things up. How many believers have justified revenge, gossip, anger, bitterness, and a host of other evils because someone they love was hurt by someone else in the church and they say, I love that person so much, I'm going to get revenge on their behalf. It happens. It doesn't just happen in a Roman Catholic church. It doesn't just happen out in the world. No, that kind of justification happens in independent Baptist churches, and you could go down the list of adjectives and make it as strict as you like. It happens in good churches. 
Yet neither love for God nor love for any other human being will lead us to disobey God. Why, why, why would that never lead us to disobey God? Because obedience is not only the only way that we can demonstrate our love to God. It is the very essence of that love. Obedience and love are synonymous. If you truly love someone, anyone, you will obey God's commandments. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the love that you have to God directly or the love that you are to have to another human being or the love between a husband and his wife or the love between a mother and her child. It doesn't matter what kind of love you are talking about. If you are talking about a biblical love, you are talking about a love that is based, not only based upon, but is synonymous with an obedience to the commandments of God respecting that relationship. An obedience to God is love. There is no possibility of a disobedient love if the love that you claim to have motivates, excuses, or even tolerates disobedience to the commandments of God, then what you have is not love. Because God is love, and God will not tolerate a disobedience to His commandments. He will not honor that. He will not bless that. And if God is not honoring and blessing the love that you claim to have, then it is not love. Obedience doesn't just prove that you love God, it is loving God. That's what verse 3 that's what verse 3 says. It says for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And this isn't some legalistic type thing where you have a checklist. It doesn't just mean, you know, if I don't smoke, then that means I love God. I'm being a loving and obedient person. I don't smoke. It, I, I show up at church. I read God's word. I do this this and this and this. It's more than just Checking off a list of things. It's agreeing with God's assessment of His commandments that they are not a grievous burden, but a great blessing. That when God gave us His law, when God gave us His directives, that He was giving us a blessing, not a burden. Because that's... That's the very essence of legalism. That's the very essence of a wicked heart. It's not that you go out and you do this and you do that. It's that you look on the commandments of God as a burden. That's what the Pharisees did. Legalism isn't that you're strict in your Christian walk. Legalism is that you take the commandments of God and you make them possible for you to obey them in your own strength. See, it's possible for a human being in his own strength to follow a bunch of regulations about cucumbers. It's possible. And therefore, the Pharisees had regulation after regulation after regulation about the handling of cucumbers. What's not possible for a human being in their own strength is to deny their greed if that happens to be their besetting sin. To deny their covetousness. And so the Pharisees took the regulations that dealt with earning interest from their brothers and they ignored those and found a workaround for those. The Pharisees didn't make the law more difficult. No, they made it easier to fulfill in their own strength. And if you, they said the commandments of God are hard. We need to make them easier. It's no wonder they were popular. They made it possible for people to feel good about themselves without having to repent 
And as my dad preached this morning, agree with God's assessment of them. And when dad was telling me about the message he was going to preach this morning, I was so excited because it fits in so well with the message that God gave me to preach tonight. Because what this is about is that when we come to a situation, our heart's desire is not just to say, okay, check, 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 check. I'm not disobeying these things on my checklist. But to say, what does God want me to do? It's not just a checklist change. It's a worldview change. It's taking the commandments of God and shaping our minds and shaping our lives to not just go over some checklist, but to go... Think like God thinks. To love God by going into a situation and not saying, what do I have to be to be, as obe- to, to be obedient and not get in trouble? But what can I do to love God by my obedience? How obedient can I be? Not what do I have to do to be obedient so I don't get yelled at and I don't get punished and I don't lose rewards. No, it's not like that. It's what can I do to show my love to God by seeing how obedient I can be? Because, you know, if you love someone, you're not like, okay, I've got to do A, B, and C, and I've got my checklist done. Okay, I've shown, that I, shown them that I love them. That's no kind of love. That's not the way that God loved you. He wasn't like, okay, I saved them. You know what? I have this obligation to save people from hell. God didn't have an obligation to save anyone from hell. He did it because he loves us. He wants to make us like his son because he loves us. God didn't just give himself to us to provide us with some sort of fire insurance. No. God gave his son so that you could be transformed into the image of the son that he gave. That's why Jesus came. And if you want to respond to that love, you are going to have to love God by obeying his commandments, not obliging your convenience. Seriously. Because you know what? It is not always going to be convenient to love God by obeying his commandments. It doesn't cost very much to have warm, ushy-gushy feelings towards God. That won't change your life. You can have warm feelings and do anything else besides. But if you subject your life to the commandments of God, that is going to change the course of your life. And that will be a very good thing. This isn't about doing church. This is about a change in your perspective. This isn't about going up and dressing up and going to a service and leaving your problems behind, but about going to a service and learning what obedience looks like and going back to those problems and applying obedience to them. If you're married and you say you love your spouse, but then when you go to work and you're not with them, you're flirting and you're cheating when you have the opportunity, then you're lying when you tell them that you love them. And if you come to church, if I come to church and I say, oh, how I love Jesus, and then I go back out into the world or, you know, I'm running errands or I'm doing this or I'm doing that, and I don't even think about what obeying God and obeying his commandments would look like, then I'm lying in my singing. I think some of our song services make more liars than any institution that the devil has yet to come up with. 
It's, oh, how I love Jesus. I will follow Jesus. Yet the lives of the members and the direction of the church, and I'm not saying that about this church particularly, but I know there has to be people here because there have been times that I've done it. Not that I'm the epitome or standard by any means. But, you know, I will sing, I love Jesus, but then if I go out and I am angry without just cause, that's not loving Jesus. If I go out and I think of something and put it above God, that's not loving Jesus. If I find that God's commandments are burdensome to me, that's not loving Jesus. That's not following Him. Because this is a question that you're going to face every day. And the question isn't, do I have enough moral fiber to follow this really difficult law code? Do I have what it takes to... Do my duty to God today. That's not the question. The question is, do you love God in this situation? You say that you love God all the time. I think everyone that is here tonight that would profess to be a Christian would say, God is the most important person in my life. I love God more than anything. Sir, do you love God more than anything when you walk by a magazine rack? Do you love God more than anything when you're tempted to be bitter? Do you love God more than anything when someone has a juicy piece of gossip to tell you? Do you love God more than anything when you fill out your taxes and it'd be really easy to cheat? Do you love God more than anything when you're tempted to complain? Do you love God more than anything driving in New York City traffic? These are serious questions. When you hear jokes about things that God hates, do you love God enough to say that's not funny? Whether it's popular or not? You're not being asked, you know, do you have enough moral gumption to do this? Are you, you have the strength, the perseverance? Yes, godliness is a workout. What Brother Franz preached a while back ago, I really enjoyed that message. Godliness is a workout, but the application of godliness doesn't ask the question, do I have the strength to do it? The point of working out under godliness is not to strengthen yourself, but it is to love God more. And when you're asked that question, it is, do, when, when you are presented with a situation in which you have the opportunity to disobey, the question that you are really being asked is, how much do you love God? Do you love God at all? And the list of specifics could go on and could go on and could go on because to be complete, it would have to cover every area in every one of our lives. But there's no need to do that. I think that everyone here should understand by now what it is that we're talking about. I hope that I have been clear. It's not always going to be easy to be obedient. But if you are truly in a relationship with God, it is never going to be burdensome because God said, my commandments are not grievous. He didn't say, my commandments are easy. It's not what he said. He said they're not grievous. They're not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not supposed to be a load that's weighing you down. Because we're supposed to be in the yoke with Jesus. If you say you love someone, and that love is like weighing you down, and you're like, oh, it's so hard. Who wants love like that? 
You think God does? He doesn't. The cross was no piece of cake. It wasn't an easy matter. But Jesus' struggles in the garden weren't over whether it was worth it. That wasn't what it's about. Jesus didn't say in the garden, Oh, it's so difficult to give myself for these people. Do you find that in the scripture? And yet we are not the initiators of love to someone that hates us. That's what Jesus did. By nature, we're children of wrath appointed for destruction. By nature, we're those that are at enmity. That means fighting against God. And yet God gave himself. The struggles weren't over whether he thought that was a good decision. And yet God has given that love to us already. If you've experienced that love, there's only one way that you can return it. And that is by obeying his commandments. Because being obedient to God's commandments does not just prove your love. It is your love. And you only and I only love God to the extent that I am being obedient to his commandments. And not just the ones that I would obey, whether I love God or not, but the ones that are the most difficult for me to obey. It's when I choose to obey him out of a heart of love and not think of it as a grievous sacrifice, but as a joyous opportunity to show and to demonstrate and to act out my love to him that I am obeying the commandment to love God. How obedient is your life? Father, Lord, I come before you tonight. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to preach your word. I just pray, Father, Lord, first of all, that I would live in my own life the message that I preach tonight, Father, because, Lord, I know that what I do means more than what I say. I pray, Father, Lord, that I would teach with my life your word, not just with my words. I pray I would also teach with my words your truth. I pray, Father, Lord, that those here would remember it and that you would be honored. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.